Everyday Design, the podcast to empower and educate homeowners on how to best deliver their extensions or renovation projects to make sure the end result is perfect for your lifestyle, personality and taste. Today we're talking the role of a QS and the trade secrets of how to save money on your project. First, let me introduce myself. I'm Abigail Hall, technical design expert and consultant to the construction industry. For almost 15 years, I've been delivering very high-end, new build and complex renovations with some pretty hefty budgets. I have also undertaken a fair number of my own renovation projects with much smaller and restricted budgets. I've become an expert in how you can use design to enhance your well-being and your happiness in your home. And I want to share with you my knowledge, contacts and a few of the lessons I've learned along the way. Each week we talk to a different expert about their product or service so we can learn the technical jargon, the easy mistakes to avoid, the need tos, the nice tos and how to get the finish you want on time and in budget. And I'm introducing Millie. Millie is with us. Hello. Hello. Um, Now, Millie, Lucas and I work together on a refurbishment project of a palace in central London. And I've invited her on because of all the quantity surveyors I've worked with in my time in construction. Millie and I share a common purpose. We want to achieve quality and value equally. We don't want to sacrifice the integrity or functionality of a product just for the sake of a short-term monetary gain. Now, she brings with her 14 years of QS experience working from residential projects through to huge city centre fit-outs and refurbishments. And we're incredibly lucky to have her so we can learn some industry tips and techniques on not blowing your project budget. So, Millie, (laughs) welcome. Thank you. I hope that I can um, live up to that introduction. Oh, no pressure. No No pressure, pressure. but I have kind of built you up, so you better better deliver the good stuff. I'm just going to go and get my soapbox. <laughs> to stand on. Well, I tell you what. Actually, having you built up so much, and you have got a brilliant, you know, huge amount of expertise. Let's actually start with a little funny minor fail. Have you ever, even as a QS, ended up going over budget on a project? I I think that any QS that tells you no is a liar. Whether that be a personal project or a work one, I have been over budget on both. Um, one. Good. <laughs> One that springs to mind though um, was a number of years ago and I was I was building a small extension onto the side of a house that I shared with my partner at the time. Yeah. And brilliantly I did that thing where I just went, yeah, I'll sort this out, I've got it. There was some steel work that needed to go into um put some support in. We were effectively doing a little bit of a steel frame, so it's a bit like Makana going on the side of the house. And that's a really good way of explaining it. I like that, Makana. Yeah. So we had this kind of Meccano, but just big, heavy pieces that needed to be lifted into place. And I was super excited because it was the day that the steel was going to arrive and checked with the people that were delivering it. Yep, supply and install, perfect. The steel arrived, all of the guys to install it were stood. I was there eagerly watching to see a piece of steel be lifted. And then the first thing they did was ask me where the crane was. Oh no! And, and I had not read their quote properly, which was a massive smack on the wrist for me. And they'd excluded the crane, and I hadn't organised it because I'd assumed that they had included it. So it, it meant that they had to take everything away, couldn't unload anything, had to pay the guys for their day, their wasted day. Then I had to rearrange the transport, so I had extra transport costs. I had to pay them to come back and do the install and then on top of that I had the extra cost of a crane which I hadn't 
I've just assumed was in the quote. So whilst I was, I didn't need a very big crane. I only needed a small one, that, like a little mobile one that you can hire for the day. It's It was still a few thousand pounds. And, and, a, a and it's so annoying. It's so funny because I, in the podcast about the various stages, the five stages of running a project, I myself talk about the need to have a bit of a buffer I always say have a little bit of a 20% margin in your budget, <laughs> both, for, both for things that you don't expect to find and also the things you've forgotten. Yes. I also have an example of forgetting a crane. So well, cranes I'm, glad slip... I'm not the only one. <laughs> cranes, they slip our minds, obviously. Cranes are such big things. I'm amazed that they seem to slide under the carpet all the time. But it's a perfectly normal thing to go over budget, especially if you're personally involved in a project, because you can get caught up in the excitement of it. And, and that's a really, and thank you for saying that, because you know what, I think our listeners, it is it is really exciting to make these changes on your home. And it, it is, is, you do get caught up in it, and it is easy to miss those details. Yes, well, as I experienced, and I thought it didn't <laughs> go down very well. I did there were there were a lot of choice words from my partner at the time he did also remind me on several occasions that I was the professional at this and I think that just made it worse but we're but, all we're all human aren't we but we are yes we are and do you know what it happens so if if anyone out there has had that happen to them maybe not the crane I would just say take it laugh and move on and don't yeah. be and, and, and remind yourself that you kept a bit of money aside for exactly that event. For exactly that reason, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but learn a lesson from Millie and read everything in absolute detail. Or make sure yeah. your, your professionals you're working with have. Now, or actually uh, just read it rather than asking, is everything included and taking the answer of yes at face value? <laughs> <laughs> it's a good life lesson. It's a good life lesson. Now, talking, talking about industry professionals, can you help? Because I've, I've used your job title there, uh, Quantity Surveyor. Can you explain the role of a quantity surveyor, who you usually work for and at what stage you get involved? Yes. So quantity surveyors are the purse strings of a project. We are the people that say, how, find out how much something is going to cost. We normally communicate that to our clients. I'll go on to clients in a little bit more detail. But we also look at options if we need to reduce costs elsewhere. And we kind of tie up all of the buying throughout the project. So if we need lots of bricks to build an extension on a house, then we'll go out and we'll find someone that will put the bricks, they'll lay the bricks for us and we'll either look to engage them to buy the materials for us as well, or I'll go out and find the materials depending on the constraints or the client's recommendations. So I... So you've got, a, I mean, you've got a list as long as your arm of all the people in the market who are selling the bits and pieces you need to do an extension or a refurbishment all the way through from your bricks and your concrete right through to your finishes your joinery and your painting and all that kind of thing so it'll be the people to dig the holes in the ground for your foundation then the people to lay the foundation for you then the people to build the walls and put a roof on and then all of the fenestration of the windows and the doors right down to the person that supplies the door handles because they don't come with the doors so there's so many different options so many different ways of looking at it that we effectively just have giant encyclopedias of different supplies for different things which is fantastic and it is exactly (laughs) what you need Yes, it is exactly what I need. It does mean that we're also able to go out and make sure that we're getting the best price for things because we can go to more than one person. And it also means that 
I, there are things if I if it isn't on my list of things and a client needs me to find it then I will still go and find it but that's so, brilliant and Millie you're you're getting involved at the stages that we talk about on this podcast you've got the design professionals involved at the design it stage yeah. and then you're coming in at the buy it stage but you might have some questions and you might go back to some of those design professionals and clarify absolutely that specification isn't complete I'm not exactly yeah. sure what kind of door it is you want because there's lots of options on the market yeah or you or something you've drawn something but actually it won't work like that if you try to do it mm. so we get involved QS typically get involved right at the pre-construction phase we call it um where we where you know what you want to build you've got an idea of it you've got it drawn you've got your your wish list of what that looks like what the all the finishes you know whether or not you've got big elaborate marble floors or if you want just plain whitewashed walls everywhere polished concrete we get involved at that point and then we can go away and come back and say this is how much that is going to cost you and so normally you would work and I'm, I'm, I'm talking I've given away because in the introduction I've, I've said who you work with you're normally working effectively with the builder with the contractor so yes. that's that's kind of who you're representing but there are some people who are independent as well so you could get that advice there are. so I I work for the builder and um, although my professionally my interest lies with the person that is paying us to do the work so my job is to make sure that they get best value so that I spend their money on what they want and they get what they want for that money as well. It's quite important. So although I work for the builder, actually my interests, I'm more interested in what my client wants rather than what my boss is telling me he wants. Oh, that's nice. I'm sure that's not always easy. Uh, no, it's not without... It's not without its difficulties. Effectively, I sit on the fence. I work, you know, I'm paid for by the builder, but I work for the client. I have to get the best value for money for what they want, bring it within their budget. But there are people that you can employ independently who do my job that would work on my client side or for private clients if they're building large extensions or little second homes in their gardens and things like that. So when you've got something you've given it to me I've said brilliant this is how much that's going to cost and you said to me that's great let's move forward and we turn up on site and we start building it and at the end of the first month I come to you and I say right this is how much money I want you to pay me for what I've done so you could have a version of me that works for you that looks at what I've given you and says actually they haven't done that much work that's not how much that should cost and that's not right. And okay, so, can, they're, so they're charging you, they're just simply charging too much for foundations. There's three yeah. square metres of foundations that shouldn't be that kind of price. Exactly. So you can get you can get that person involved at the same time that I become involved in the project. So that when I come to you with the estimate of how much it costs, you can have somebody sense check it who might know a little bit more about what building things looks like than you do as an extra safe pair of eyes and you don't have to engage this person on a full-time permanent basis you could hire them for a day or a week depending on what you want them to look at it may be that you want them to sense check a price that I've given you do you really believe that the roof cost a hundred thousand pounds is that real I mean how would you know <laughs> how would you know you, you don't wouldn't. do it and you know what and you wouldn't know and actually that's and that's really interesting so Let's say I haven't engaged an independent uh, quantity surveyor, a QS. I'm, I'm happy to kind of look at the figures myself. Let's say I've had a quote from a contractor, but it seems really high. 
what level of detail can I realistically ask for to break down the costs and where can I fact check those costs aside from using an independent quantity surveyor? Well, there is, there's, if somebody is giving you a price, the first thing that I would always say is make sure that they've given you a programme. Okay. So a programme of works is typically the sequence and of works that they're going to do. So it might, and it tells you how long each part of that workload is going to take. So it might be that they've said they're going to spend three weeks building the outside walls and then they're going to spend a week screeding the floor on the inside or yeah. something like that. Because that essentially gives you the time frame that they say they're going to be on site for. And then if they're looking at costs for the amount of time that people in more managerial roles like me, you'd suddenly start to understand, actually, if they're going to be here for 10 weeks, is that quite a lot of money for 10 weeks or is it not? So you've got the the preliminary side is what we call it, is all of the people that kind of run the build and bits and pieces. And that's that's really and that's a really good piece of advice that you just said there. Because when you're thinking about it of a, a programme of over 10 weeks, for example, that might feel quite overwhelming. But if you had a yeah. decorator come in and say, listen, I'm going to decorate, and I've just had a quote myself, I'm going to come and decorate your bedroom. Um, it's going to cost £800. That's a quote I had plus that. And my first question was, well, how many days, how many days is that? Because yeah. I, the first thing I'm doing is thinking, well, I probably have an idea of how much a decorator is paid per day does that seem right and the first thing he said to me was five days and you you start to have even a lay person someone who's not doing this all the time can start to feel oh does that feel right does it feel absolutely that long yeah and that's quite it's quite important because it also tells you the level of disruption that's going to be in your life and it will point out if you do decide to go with it then if you've got that program and you notice that they still haven't finished something that they probably should have, then then you become aware of the fact that actually they might be a little bit behind and you can start pushing them. So the first thing that I would say is make sure that if you've given a price and you've got a program, because there's no way anyone can tell you how much something costs unless they know how long it's going to take. That's a brilliant piece of advice. That's really useful, Millie. Well, so yeah, so you should absolutely have that. And if they tell you that they haven't got a program, then I wouldn't trust their price because the two things are so intertwined, it's unreal. Okay. And then beyond that, if you want to drill down, so using that example you just said, you've got the program of works, you've got three weeks, let's say, to do the foundations and do the external walls. Yeah. In that, let's say that's come in at £50,000. Again, what level of detail can you go to within that 50 grand? You can, depending on which way you want to buy it, so you can you can ask them to clarify. You need to ask them to tell you exactly what's included in that cost. So the first thing that they'll do is they might say, I need 200 square metres of the bricks. So you would have the amount of material that they're going to use, and exa- if that includes things like wall ties and the little sundry items. And then you can ask them for their split, their labour and material split if it's a rate. So typically materials and labour it's either sort of 60 40 or 70 30. So those are kind of industry standards that you're saying. Yeah. There. Yeah. So then you can have a look at so once you've clarified and it should it shouldn't be a hard thing again if somebody's told you how much something is going to cost to do then they know how much material they're going to use. That is information that you can ask for and if somebody was reluctant to give you that information then I, I wouldn't be comfortable with that personally. That's how I would say it. No, that's really useful. Again, that's really useful because I think we're traditionally quite 
it's quite difficult to talk about money and someone may give us yeah. an overall project cost. It's quite intimidating as well if you're not used to looking at these things. And I mean, I deal with money every day. That's what I do. And admittedly, my budgets at the moment are substantially larger than the one that I have for the garden that I'm doing. But <laughs> you know, it's, it's scales of economy. But ultimately, this is your money that you're spending and you have to make sure that you're comfortable that it's being spent on what you want it to be spent on. So once you've got your... Once you've got that detailed quotation, actually, you could have a look at online at average cost of bricks and it will tell you per thousand. You can price check on Google. You could ring Travis Perkins just for a couple of different things, builders, merchants and just say, if I was going to buy these, how much would they cost? Yeah, but something you mentioned earlier, Millie, that is important, and you mentioned a couple of, for example, some some wall ties or some wheat poles or whatever it might be, um, and there's some technical things related to brickwork. Just bricks alone, there is a unit cost, but yes. it's for the contractor. There's always plus plus. It's yes. the outfit plus the accessories, isn't it? It's the whole thing all together. Plus so their you, profit, and that's something profit. else. Uh, so, and so it's it's actually if you do find a bit of difference, it's OK to have that conversation and say, look, it seems to me that those the cost per thousand bricks is this much. I've you know spoken to Travis Perkins, for example. Could yeah. you explain the difference? Because it feels like quite a big difference. So you could yes. always have that conversation. You, it's not almost. You can absolutely have that conversation. And if and there's any respectable contractor is more than happy to to share quotes with you. Fantastic. No, that's 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 really brilliant. And, you know, I think that's probably the most honest conversation people will have heard about the reality of working. With <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, it, it is important to make sure that you've got a, a trusting relationship um, with the person that is building your dream. They're going to make your dream become a reality. So you have to be able to trust them. I agree. And, and it is. But it is important to recognise that any builder will apply a markup of margin to that product cost so just because it says it's you know their quote says that they could get it for i don't know 100 pounds for a thousand and they might be charging you 120 pounds for a thousand it's not unreasonable for them to put that markup on the material cost because they're carrying the the risk of making sure that all the measuring's been done right, that they've allowed for everything. And they're obviously going to be spending this money out and it's going to be out of their bank before you pay them for that work to be complete. So whilst nobody likes the fact that builders have to make a little bit of money or they do increase the prices slightly, as long as they're open with you about what it is that they're doing and that you can see there's that transparency there, then I wouldn't be concerned. A typical markup of materials is usually 15 to 20%. Sometimes it can be as much as 25, but that's generally with the more bespoke bits and pieces. Yeah, and it can depend how much of the work they're doing for you. Someone might yeah. have an overall markup on all of the products that they're buying for you, but actually they're acting as contractor and project manager, for example, yeah. where there, that there might be a little bit extra for being that. It's about having that conversation. Thanks. Well, I will say, can I just add, though, that I want to be very clear that the cheapest quote is not always the best option. Thank you for saying that. And most importantly, when we're going out to the market and you're speaking to whoever it is you're getting, be it one of your trade professionals, your yeah. 
engineer, your architect, your quantities, independent quantity surveyor, or your contractor, shop around, get recommendations yeah. and shop around. Three quotes is a good benchmark, isn't it, Millie? I mean, I always take three quotes for everything. It's kind of a bit of a standard um, for me that I always get three quotes. And then what I do is I compare them like for like. You could do it on a spreadsheet. This is what I want. This is how much company A has priced it for, company B and company C. And actually, when you go through and do that, you'll find that, well, company A might have allowed for something that B and C haven't. So there's a mental note. Do I need that? Or are they being a little bit, cheeky that means that you can ask company a that question why have you included that and if it turns out you do need it then you can go back to company b and c and say could you put this in please yeah that's and, really that's a really good piece of advice and um that's where the crane comes in right that missing, is exactly missing where the crane crane. <laughs> had i done that i wouldn't have uh, i wouldn't have been without my crane and okay we live we live and we learn now move, moving on moving on i, I want to say on site, I often see materials left over. Now, have the quantities been calculated incorrectly? And is there any way of reselling or recycling these items? Um, sometimes, yes, the quantities will have been calculated incorrectly. I don't think anyone can get away from human error. Um, I've done it myself before where I've written down an additional zero that didn't need to be there and you end up with a lot of material, uh, you will find that actually a lot of the builders merchants will buy it back from you. Now, yeah. it may be that it's subject to a restocking charge or something like that, but you can arrange, especially if you've got large quantities of things left over, you can arrange for them to be collected or your builder could arrange for them to be collected and returned. The easiest way on a, on a project that you're doing at home to minimise the waste from material is to get your builder to buy the material for you fantastic and that is because if they buy too much it comes straight out of their pocket not yours great that's a really good piece of advice and, and i'll reiterate that i was doing a garden on one occasion the build side anyone who knows me knows i'm not green fingered at all and we were advised by the landscape architect we needed 10 cubic metres of a particular kind of soil. It was ordered and it was four cubic metres over. And exactly wow. as you say, very they were very, very professional about it. They held their hands up, said it was their estimating error. Um, and it was resolved within a matter of days. But it was quite important to keep the eye out for that. And it's quite easy if you notice that there's a huge quantity over. You do notice that. Yeah, you do. And I mean, there are lots of places that will also um, take leftover material. I mean, you might be in a situation where it's been bought, you've used some of it, then somebody's changed their mind about what they want it to look like and you've gone with something else and then you've got this stuff and for whatever reason, you need to dispose of it. When it comes to things like timber, um, the, the quickest way to get rid of something like that is actually to phone uh, your local secondary school and find out if they want it for their woodshop classes. Oh, that's a brilliant tip. Yeah, and you'll be surprised at how quickly they will jump in their cars and come and collect it from you. Because actually buying wood, things like that, has to come out of the school's budget. And if they can get good quality stuff that is left over, there's, there's nothing wrong with it, but you don't have a need for it, then of course you can do that. There are also putting it on places like free cycle people will come and take it away and then they and a gun tree or next door things or like that the that kind of yeah. things yeah 
I mean, I'm a big believer in reducing waste as much as possible. I think it's really important. But if you've got your builder to buy your materials for you, then you're less likely to have waste. And also something you mentioned earlier, there could be a situation where the the builder has had to buy a pallet or let's say a thousand of a product, but actually they only needed 20, but it's sold in the of a thousand. So that's about having a conversation with your builder, isn't it? Saying, can they buy it back? Is there anything that can be done with those? Or again, as you said, the free cycle, the different websites. Yeah. Uh, So it does happen. Or looking at an alternative to... the the product that you've initially intended to use things like that when you're looking at um pricing a project in the first instance things like that will be highlighted quite quickly if you need ten thousand bricks and you're going to have to buy 20 of them because you want a particular color and it's not quite off the shelf then do you really need to do that and then run the risk of having all of that leftover material and that's where and that's where your one of your design professionals your architect for example could come in and alter the design slightly save some money that's really good that's a really good piece of advice now thinking still talking about buying uh, as a quantity surveyor these questions are always going to be around that oh Um, i love buying you know let's (laughs) say i want to buy something myself as opposed to going through my builder and here i'm thinking of for example a kitchen or a bathroom something like i really want to be involved in it do you have any hints on how i can make sure i get the best price shopping around is mammothly key i think that if you are if you're that kind of intrinsically in detail on what you want in that kitchen i would still say that your builder is probably going to get a better price for it than you because they will have established relationships with companies that they use time and time again which will open up doors to discounts that you might not have available to you now that isn't to say that you can't build your dream kitchen and take it to that builder and go that is what i want because then that's exactly what they'll buy If you are absolutely adamant that you do want to buy it yourself, then shopping around is the biggest thing and looking at alternative supplies, going to joineries rather than fancy showrooms of places. I think when you go and you engage with the the specialist, the smaller specialist business, like the joinery companies and things like that, then because you're dealing with the person that's actually physically going to make it, there's a there's a personal element to that they kind of they are then engaged in your story and your project with you and actually when you take out the big fancy showrooms and all of the sales people and everything else like that it does reduce the cost down yeah and that's just common sense isn't it and we've all been in yeah. those showrooms where they've got an incredibly thick heavy glossy brochure and they're offering you a fantastic espresso or something oh, stronger and a free and, cookie and a free cookie <laughs> All of that is extra costs for them. Extra costs. Yeah. And is that every free coffee that they give you is a coffee that you're paying for on your kitchen or your bathroom. Yeah. So you shop know. around. Shop around. Absolutely. And go direct to the manufacturer where you can. That's absolutely fantastic. And then the only piece of advice I'd, I'd give on top of that, and this is logical advice, if you are buying something that is quite large and has any kind of mechanical action, so you're buying, for example, appliances in a kitchen, think about buying that either on a credit card or through a loan. I'm not encouraging anyone to get finance here if, you, if that's not something you're comfortable with, but you have a secondary safeguard when you do buy something through a finance company. So should anything go wrong, should the retailer that you buy it through go bust, or you find that they're not actually responsive to issues that you have with that product downstream, there's something called a Section 75 claim that you can do directly with a finance company. They have the same responsibility to look after you as a customer as the shop does. 
but even better get see if your builder can get it for you because then you as you say Millie I think probably you could get it at a better price and it does and your builder also has a responsibility to you if something goes wrong with building work um after he's finished and gone that's something that a lot of people don't realize is that just because that, that you've paid them and they've gone if something isn't right and a window starts leaking or the roof isn't right then your builder for a period of time that you agree when you kind of engage together and you sit down and you move forward will be responsible normally for about 12 months in the same way that if you went and bought something from a supermarket you could you're entitled to a refund with building it's a little bit different you wouldn't necessarily get a refund but they would have to fix it if it's something that is an actual flaw because they've not built it right then they have to fix that for you and we talk about we talk about um, the liability builders liability contractors liability both that your contractor who is your builder or your contractor who is your one of your design professionals for example in yep. our podcast with one of our legal experts which oh, is launching soon so Millie thank you for that little uh I'll be little quiet. promotion there <laughs> I'll give you I'll pay you the money later <laughs> now talk to me about value engineering what is it and can I do it on my own project value engineering is the new fancy name for cost saving. I love that. Yeah, we we used to call it cost saving and then people got a little bit twitchy with that because they felt like if you were cost saving, then you were going to somehow erode the quality of what you were building. So somewhere along the line within the industry, we stopped calling it cost saving and we started value engineering it. So you were getting better value for money rather than cutting cost. Cutting, cutting cost, cost saving, but yeah, but same same, really same same. Same same. Um, and there are two different forms of value engineering. The first one is when you look at your budget and realise that you've only got enough money for two thirds of it. And then the first form is essentially we're going to value engineer something out, and that means that you're just going to choose not to do it for whatever reason. So the for example, so for example, there. I've, I've got the costs in, they've come in at 150 grand. I've only got a hundred grand budget. I'm going to have to do some serious, I'm going to remove windows. I've got too many windows. I'm going to remove them. I'm going to reduce yep. the number of them. You're going to reduce the number of them. So you value engineer out X number of windows. Okay, so that that's a very basic first form is when you need to reduce the scope of your work to match your budget. Okay. Lots of people don't like doing that though. And I completely understand it because if you're building your dream, you should have your dream. So, and also, and also, sorry, and I use that example there of the windows. It might be that your planning approval shows a certain amount of windows. So it's not as simple as just down. You might have to go back yeah. to something which would cost more money. So I mean, you might have to give up all of your inside walls. I mean, it's, especially if you live in an area where there's a heritage presence or you've got lots of old buildings, there might be lots of grade two listed things. If you've got consent for that extension, then trying to change the outside face of it is very tricky because normally you then have to go back and get amendments and things like that. And so what we're saying is, so what we're saying, just removing something isn't always that easy. No, sometimes you can't, especially if it's a condition of planning that you have really beautiful critical windows because they match the rest of the house. You can't then say, actually, I'm going to use black UPVC beauties instead of those because they're a third of the price. You can't. And that's and that's your second option, isn't it? Going from uh, yeah. one finish to another one specification yes. to another so the second form of value engineering comes in looking at alternative 
products or finishes or methods of installation. Ooh. So, yeah, so you might find that you haven't got enough money. If all of your windows have gone in and they need to be sealed from the outside, but the scaffold is really super expensive and you need the man to stand on the scaffold to be able to finish off the windows on the outside. You find with scaffold and things like that, they do take a lot of time as well. And everyone knows the longer your builder is on site, the more money it's probably going to cost you. So anything you can do to reduce that. I mean, you can get people that will seal the windows from the outside and they'll abseil. So instead of having a scaffold, you could have an abseiling man that comes off of your roof and down the side. And that could be, then that could represent thousands in scaffold being there when it didn't need to be. Yeah, and all of that time that you've saved by not having to put it up, getting it up, so erecting the scaffold and then watching them carry everything up and down it and all of those kinds of things and then striking the scaffold at the end and taking it down and taking it away. All of that hassle has gone along with that cost. So you might look at something in the first instance and go, oh, well, actually, the, the, the abseiling man is or per well, abseiling person is, you know, it's a thousand pounds and you know, I'm only paying that guy £10 a window to do it. Why would I pay that £1,000 for that man? Well, the truth is, if that £1,000 for him means that you don't have to spend £60,000 on a scaffold, it's worth it. I agree. Yeah. And you know, and that's a great example. And I'll be honest with you, I rarely think about the method. I often go with, OK, that you tell me you need scaffold, you need scaffold, you're the expert. But it's about challenging it and saying, actually, is there another way? You, yeah, so the first thing, so you can always look at method and it's the same, do you need a big crane if you remember to buy one? <laughs> or, or do you, could you use a spider crane, which are like little ones that crawl across the ground that are much smaller that can still take a couple of tons? A lot of the time, there are really innovative solutions to things that we do just because that's the way that we've always done it. And if you're working with a builder, then you should challenge those perceptions to see if that there's something there that you could you could do can we do that in a different way that would be less expensive okay let's say let's say you've let's say you've analyzed that and the the method you've refined it as much as you can you're now left with either alternative products or finishes that's right so finish is a really simple one and you could decide that instead of having marble floors you might switch to porcelain it might not be your dream but it it gives you if you're happy if you find a, a tile or something that you like then actually you might be satisfied with that. So changing the finish normally means downgrading it to a a different, less expensive material. But you can, there are ways to maintain the finish if, but by using alternate product. So you might find that if you wanted some beautiful hardwood floors and the hardwood, the solid wood is one price, you might, look at an alternative that looks like the solid wood but could be a laminate so Mm. it's about finding the balance about what you're prepared to live with and what that costs and I think that's really that's I want to reiterate that point because it's being prepared to live with it this is something that you and I always speak about and this is where it's the the short-term monetary gain for the long-term effect because once these things go into the house the when they're in the room, the tiles, you're not going to change them. The cost of changing them is astronomical. It is. The piece of advice that I would give when you go before you look at a value engineering process is if you are if you're if you're doing a project on your own, then great, you can live with yourself. 
if you're doing a project with someone, with a partner, with a friend, I don't know if it's a family house that you're renovating, have a very, very honest and frank conversation with the other people involved about what you are not prepared to compromise on. And that is so important because we have completely different value systems. Some people are absolutely non-negotiable. So you may say, Abby, categorically, I, I hate taps that are surface mounted. I want to be able to wipe my surface. I don't want any taps that are on the surface. They have to come out the wall. That's like a non-negotiable. That's a red line for me. Whereas I might go, I don't care. Whatever. Go to B&Q. Get and the water come out of it. That's fine. Yeah. There we go. And, <laughs> and something like that would bug that person every single day. And it's a source of uh, anxiety, animosity. It's the opposite of creating happiness, which is what we want. Yeah, and it just, it leads to resentment. And I would, the reason I say that you should have this conversation before you start value engineering is because it is amazing that when you say to a builder, because if somebody comes to me and says, I can't afford it, what can you do? I go away with their budget and I come back and I go, right, I've got 12 different options and here they are. And there might be something that I put on the table as a really good way to save money that actually means that I'm sacrificing something that is an absolute must-have for one of the people involved on my client side. But the temptation of the amount of money that it will save quite often leads them to make a decision, regrettably, that they will remove it or they'll make that change and they'll save that money. And then what you have is at some point down the line, you know, in an argument or whatever, well, I gave up this so that we could save money and have that thing that you wanted so, <laughs> so you've I, got the fancy kitchen but I'm left with the bathroom that I hate kind of thing yes and and it is exactly that and that and I think that when you have the distraction of seeing the short-term gain in front of you that can be quite dangerous so you have to be very clear this is not a point in time for you to go, oh, okay, and maybe I can live without that. No, if you're paying for it and you have to live with it and it's forming part of your dream that you're putting on your house or outside in your grounds or wherever, then you make sure that you have the absolute things that you want. Now, if it gets to a point where you can only give up like the fifth spare bathroom, you know, you have to be a little bit more realistic than that, or you have to change something else. And usually that means the budget. So yes. make sure that you have an absolute list of must and be honest with the other people involved, because we all have different things that hold different values. Like you say, with the taps, I'm going to be the person that has the kitchen um, when I live with my partner and he will just have whatever is left over. <laughs> and, <laughs> there we go. You know, and that's how it is. That's how it is in your world. And that's how it's in my world, because I spend so much time. The kitchen is such a source of joy for me. That is like the heart of a home. And I, when I'm not at work, I, you know, I'm Mary Berry in the kitchen and I'm baking bread and I'm making macaroni and cheese and I'm roasting chickens for people and all of this kind of stuff. So the concept for me to walk into an off the off the peg kitchen that doesn't work for anything that I would want to do in it is absolutely abhorrent and I just wouldn't move into that house. So it's, it sounds to me like almost between you, you're having these conversations of what are the need to's, the red lines, the absolute necessities, and then what are the nice right. to's? I, well, I, yeah. I kind of like to have marble in the bathroom, but oh, frankly, if it was tiles, but that gave the same look, I don't really mind. Yeah, 
Well, that leads to a nice to list. Yeah, and and we, you know, as a, we are having these conversations. We have had these conversations, and that's why I know that he wants marble, white marble floors throughout the whole of downstairs of the house. That's just the way that he wants it, and that's something that is important to him. Now, I'm not really that bothered about whether it's marble or something that looks like marble, but if it has to be marble for him, then I can't really argue that point when I'm demanding a kitchen on the other side. <laughs> but it also means that we both know what is important to each other. So when it comes to cost saving, I'm not going to go, do you know what, though? We could have a cheaper floor. Because I know that the first thing I would say is, or a cheaper kitchen. You I think, know? Honestly, I think we're kind of getting into relationship management here. I'm going to add to your job title. <laughs> Well, I'm surveyor and relationship manager. This is absolutely fantastic advice. And but these this is absolutely true. And ultimately, any professional who's working to assist you, um, again, I always talk about it, but be it the architect, structural engineer, or something yeah. like yourself, you're you're not living in the house. No, you, you, those, don't people, those people don't live there. It's the customer at the end of the day. So I love that. I love that need to and nice to. And then and one piece of advice I'd just give is if you're talking about something where you're perhaps ambivalent so I don't, I don't doors for example oh what difference does it really make you know I don't really have any views on it I would actively encourage yourself and any other decision makers who you're in on the project with to go somewhere where you can test different kinds different kinds of doors different kinds of door handles because actually something you may think you don't have a view about let me tell you if you get the horrible cheap version you may oh, have the one that you can't slam in an argument that <laughs> You know, <laughs> you're right. It, you need to look at it. And um, there are places you can go to factories, you can get samples made up, you can do all kinds of things. Yeah. So it's, it's again, it's about time and thinking about it. So it's absolutely fantastic. So you've covered off there alternatives. You have actually talked about alternative products and finishing and methods. But ultimately, what I'm taking away there is there is a point where it might be you have valued engineered, you've cost saved everything you possibly can. And actually, the reality is your budget of, a hundred grand it's coming in at 110 fact so then you have to make a decision okay you've cut you cut it down as much as you can so then's a question do you find the extra 10k save a little bit longer take out a loan whatever is right for you personally or actually is that project not right for you because it's simply going to cost too much money and the one thing I'd say, though, is not if you get to a point where you decide that it's not right for you, it's not right for you at that time doesn't mean that it's not right for you. And if you've already got all of the drawings and everything else that's made up, then you will still have that at another point in time for you to be able to look forward. It may be that, I don't know, if you get a bonus or your, your financial situation changes to make it more of a goer, then that's great. So don't feel like your dream is lost that's put a pin in it that's all like you've done. that your dream is not lost it's perhaps just postponed yeah that's future like that. me i like that future you gets to have that future you gets to have that kitchen and the white marble pl- floor and the white marble floor yeah that's future me. <laughs> you make sure you get that you make sure you get that sealed well millie oh, yeah. I, I will yeah don't I've, oh yeah there are stories <laughs> <laughs> now um uh, this is absolutely brilliant. Everything you said is fantastic. Tell me, I would like the advice of an independent QS on my project. Where's the best place for me to find one? 
Um, I would always advise people to go to a professional body. So there are two, there are loads of different professional bodies. And um, the two main ones typically that relate to construction are the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors and the Chartered Institute of Builders. Now, you'd find that you get a lot of kind of building surveyors and land surveyors and things like that with the RICS, as well as quantity surveyors as well. It's not, you know, the RICS encompasses all different kinds of surveyors. But typically, quantity surveyors that are registered through the CIOB are the ones that are involved in building actual projects rather than surveying buildings. But either of those professional bodies, you can go onto their website and you can literally find a surveyor near me. And um, one of, yeah, and, and if, and yeah. if in doubt, if you're not sure about those different job titles, it's fine to phone someone up and have a chat and say, look. Yeah, that's so helpful. But the reason that I would I would advise you to go to a professional body is because to be members of those professional bodies, you have to follow a certain code of conduct. You have to behave in a certain way and you have to work ethically with your clients. So you know that the people that are working with them, to some degree, you know that they're not going to try and rip you off, that they are going to be professional with you. And, you know, ultimately they're working in your interest because if they don't and you have a problem, you can go to their professional body and say to them, I worked with this person and this was a problem. And then they'll investigate. So it's in their interest to make sure that they don't damage their reputation. So you will always end up with somebody who's probably a little bit more invested. Now, it's not to say that if you're not chartered, you're ripping anyone off. That's not it at all. But if I was unsure then I would want to know that that person is verified in some way. And that typically is the easiest way to do it. Millie, thank you so much for everything you've contributed. Now, for more information on today's show, any links we've mentioned or to find other episodes, please go to eddpodcast.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at EDD Podcast. And please subscribe and rate this podcast as it helps other homeowners learn how to design their happiness. Thank you for listening. I've been Abigail Hall and this has been Everyday Design.